My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, as we take a step into the time where we're looking at God's Word, I want to tell you a little bit about when I was uh, a youngster, probably junior high, high school, before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I had enough understanding of God to bargain with Him. Um, I know that there were times when I didn't study for a test. Uh, I was a typical student, right? There were times I didn't finish writing the paper till the night before. And there were moments when I was cramming things in. Or there were problems with the relationship. Or there was a struggle at home. And I remember very distinctly lying in my bed down there in, uh, in Petaluma, California. 1264 Marion Way. Remember that, Mom? Lying in bed there, praying to the God I wasn't quite sure that existed. But just in case he existed, I needed a favor. And I remember making bargains with God where I said things like this. Okay, God, if you blank, then I will blank, right? If you come through for me and you help me get a good grade on my test, I will serve you forever for the rest of my life. You know, I will stop doing certain things. I will start doing certain things. And I remember that number of times I'd negotiated with God, or at least I thought I was negotiating with God. You see, I had enough church experience to know that there was a God, and he was powerful enough to do things like walk on water and raise people from the dead. So it probably wasn't a big stretch for him to help me pass a test, right? I just don't want a D again. I just, can I get a C? I'll take a C minus. If you just somehow move my pencil. If you inspired the authors of the Bible to write, can you help me write this paper? I just need a little bit, God. That's all I need. Now, why is it that we have a tendency to negotiate with God? Because I know you've done it. In fact, you could do this if you're online as well. You know, even if there's nobody else in the room. But I want you here in this room to raise your hand if you've ever tried to bargain with God. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. We all have, right? It's a natural human response to being in problems. You know, they say that there are no atheists in foxholes, right? And that's kind of the idea that in those moments of need, we all cry out to God and we throw this Hail Mary prayer out there. And God, just in case you exist, right? That's kind of what we do. We say, I promise, you know, dear God, I know you haven't heard from me in a long time. 
God, I know I haven't really lived up to all your standards, but I tell you what, if you come through in the clutch, if you come through in this pinch moment for me, I promise I will. And we make a big list of things that we're going to do. And I love that. We've all done it. We've all strike a bargain with God, or we thought we struck a bargain with God. Protestants do it. Catholics do it. Jews do it. Muslims do it. We all do it. Anybody that has any kind of faith. The cool thing, this is an awesome thing. Even atheists do it. Atheists are like, okay, I know you don't exist, but just in case you do, I want to cover my bases here, right? I just want to know that you're going to come through for me. You know, the reality is sometimes God comes through. I remember in my life, God came through and then I didn't. Raise your hand if you ever failed on that one. God came through and you conveniently forgot. Conveniently, you just didn't love up, live up to your part of the bargain. The truth is we never intended to, right? We just were somehow thinking that we could strong arm God. We could get him in a, you know, a hold where he's going to cry uncle. You know what I mean? And uh, the, the beautiful part about that is that we think we have something God wants. I love that. Just walk with me for a bit down this journey. Somehow in our prayer, in our thinking, in our crisis, in our moment of need, we cry out to God just, just to cover our bases, whether we're faithful or not, whether we believe in him or not, or whether we're distant or not. And we cry out to this God of the universe, and somehow we make some very bold assumptions. I wrote a couple of them down. One, we believe that God knows who we are. That's an assumption, right? We don't even think about it. We just assume that. Out of the billions of people on the planet, we believe that this God is big enough intelligent enough and personal enough to know that we actually exist and know our name, right? We make that assumption because when we pray to God, it's like, oh, of course he hears me because I'm me and he knows that I exist, right? We believe how somehow that we have something he wants from us. This is the best part. We believe that we've got something in our back pocket. And if we just pull that out, God's like, I've been waiting for this moment to get this from you. This is going to be awesome. I've been wondering how I was going to move all the planets around and when it was going to be, but you finally revealed this. And isn't it kind of silly? But these are assumptions. We, we don't even think about them. We just make these assumptions. And finally, we believe that we hold something over God's head to the point that he will negotiate with us. Now, I love that about us. I did that and I didn't even understand those things. It was natural for me as somebody in middle school to cry out to God and feel like I had a bargaining chip with God. I mean, you know, we do this. We assume he exists and that takes a lot of faith and we assume he cares and that takes a lot of faith and we assume he needs something and mostly we assume we got something. And if we just play our cards right, we have got God in a bind, right? It's almost like we're playing poker and we're just gonna bluff our way through it. And we know we don't plan on laying the cards down and doing it. But if we can just hold those cards and give them that steely look, somehow he's going to relent and he's going to fold. Now, we're in this series, in the middle of the series called Reset. And we're just taking a look at what it would look like to restart our faith. Because somewhere along the way, we came to faith in God. Somewhere along the way, every one of us, whether you're watching here or you're in the room, somewhere along the way, maybe we were a child 
Maybe we were a teenager and we said yes to believing in God. And we pursued that and we learned how to, to do the things that, you know, that are part of it, like praying and reading the Bible and going to church and giving in the offering plate and all that stuff. We learned how to do those things. And so we did those things and we did those things and we grew in our faith and maybe we began to own our faith and maybe there were high parts of faith and low parts of faith. And yet somewhere along the line, we began to lose faith or we began to question our faith. And somewhere we sat back and thought, hmm, I've been doing this a long time. How do I really know it's true? And in a season where we've gone through, you know, this global pandemic where we've seen people die in larger numbers than you know, anything else that we've seen in our lifetime, shutting our economy down, I mean, destroying sometimes the very fabric of relationships with rules and regulations and six feet of separation and masks and all those struggles and, and you know, all of that issue, some people are wondering, if there really is a God, wouldn't he be a good God? And if he's a good God, why is he letting bad things happen to good people, Right. And so that's why we're doing this series called Reset, because we're just saying, let's take a step back. Let's push the reset button on our faith, and let's go back to Jesus. Let's go back to asking, who is Jesus? And, and if he exists, what does he want from us? What is Jesus interested in that we have? And so that's why we're here. We're here with this reset. And if you're beginning to embrace or re-embrace Jesus, I want to talk about the very thing that sets our faith system our belief system apart from every other faith system. And this is important. This is actually, this is crucial to the conversation. Here's what sets Christianity, believing in Jesus, apart from every other world faith system, no matter what the faith system is, whether they have an organized church or a disorganized church, right? You know, whether they have something very personal or very impersonal. Here's what sets Christianity apart. Here's what sets Jesus apart from every other faith leader. And in fact, if you already believe in Jesus, you're going to go, man, that, that really helped me. Now I have more confidence in my faith. And if you're checking it out, and if you're just, you're just kind of tuning in, and you're trying to wonder, is this real? You're going to at least walk away knowing, ah, that's the distinction of Jesus, that's the distinction of Christianity. That's why Christians say they're different than every other belief system. And I want to talk about that today. Now, I'm old enough to remember a TV show called The Dating Game. Anybody with me? Okay, The Dating Game. And I remember watching that in the 70s. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know, it might still be on. I know it was kind of going through different resurrections and things like that. But the dating game is this game where the host, I don't know, it might have been Bob Barker. I don't remember. He's there and he's got this really nice, attractive young lady sitting there on a stool. And she's blindly interviewing three potential candidates for a date. And they're behind and, and she can't see them, but the camera can see them. And so she asks the different people you know, bachelor number one, bachelor number two, bachelor number three, probably wouldn't even be a very politically correct TV show if it were on today. But the fact is, is that she would ask them questions. And at the end, she'd have to make a decision based on, I like the answer. Sometimes that's how we approach faith. We kind of explore, we kind of take a journey, we kind of have our lists of questions and we go, oh, that one makes the most sense. What I want to say today completely shatters that whole understanding that you could ask Different faith systems, varying questions, and as long as it resonates with you, you'll choose one. You will choose one. Here's what sets Jesus apart from all of the spiritual dating game, and it's simply this. 
I got on the screen. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. See, that's what sets Jesus totally in a new category. Every other belief system, every other faith system, whether it's organized or not not organized, whether it's something that you can go and attend in a building or a temple or in a mosque or something like that, or something you can just do in the privacy of your home or up in the mountains, every belief system has requirements for you. And the, the interesting thing about Jesus is he doesn't want something from you. He's not sitting there at the bargaining table wondering what your cards are and if you hold an ace up your sleeve and if you've been counting your cards and you know that you've got an edge. Jesus is not interested in playing poker with you. He's not interested in gambling with you. He's not interested in bargaining with you. You know, when we're kids, we, we always have an edge, right? So we go and we play marbles. Maybe you're, you know, you're really old and you play marbles. You remember playing marbles and you had specific marbles and all the other kids, they wanted that marble and you knew it and you've had the marble and you had an edge and you could trade that marble or you take it further and it's like Pokemon cards. You know, it's like, you've got certain Pokemon cards. You're like, man, I can walk into any room and I've got this Pokemon card and everybody else is going to want to bargain with me and I'm going to get so much out of that card, right? Or toys or lunch, right? Your mom made the best lunch. It was always the sandwich. You hated it, by the way. So, you know, you had to bluff your way through this, but you had the sandwich. You had the extra treats and you bargained your way. See, God doesn't show up at that table because he doesn't need to show up at that table. He's not interested. The reason you can't negotiate with God is because you have nothing God needs. And you have nothing God wants. When you investigate Jesus, you begin to understand this. You discover that somehow we've created a system, a spiritual system, that God needs us. I mean, to the point where God really needs us. And if we just play our cards right, he will relent. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at the Apostle Paul as he went into Athens and had this conversation with the Greek philosophers, and we saw these words. And just, I want to pull out two verses. Paul said in his sermon, he is the God who made the world and everything in it, Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs. Here it is. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. Think about that. God has no needs. You have nothing to come to the bargaining table with. You have nothing. He's not sitting there going like, man, I was just looking out. Man, Kelly. And I was just, I was just noticing Kelly's 69 Mustang coupe. And that's a nice one. I, I think, I think if he just does a little work on it, I could use that one. So let me help him. Let me help him. Right. Cause I could certainly use that. Now I'm as pastor James may say that. Okay. But God is not interesting, interested in your 69 Mustang. I am. He's not. All right. Or Todd. It's like, oh, Todd, man, Todd plays tennis and he coaches tennis. If I could, if I could just get God into Todd, Todd's going to do great stuff. I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember people used to say, if we could just get Paul McCartney saved, you know, if we could, John Lennon, forget John Lennon. There was just no hope with John Lennon. But if Paul, the good looking one could get saved, if we could just get Justin, if we can, if we can all become believers and he can receive Jesus, which he did, by the way, if we can do that. Man, if God could just reach, then we'd have an edge. Here's the thing. God doesn't need an edge. God doesn't want an edge. 
He's not interested in an edge. In the Bible, the word that captures this idea is the word grace. It's a beautiful word. It's the word grace. Grace, um, we've all experienced it. Maybe we've given it out to people. Grace is a beautiful word. Um, it's something that you receive. It's, uh, it's something you receive that you don't deserve. Let's say you're driving along the freeway. I've had this happen, and you run out of gas because somehow the yellow light going off isn't enough of an indicator to tell you that you're sucking fumes on that one, right? Vapors, and you run out of gas, and somebody stops, and then they not only pick you up, they take you to a gas station, and you get gas, and then they take you back. That's grace, right? Or you're in a situation where you, know, you, have, you go to the cash register, and you go to pay for something, and you forgot your money or your wallet, and the next person in line goes, don't, don't worry about it. I'll pay for it. That's grace. You didn't deserve that, but you got it. You received it. The idea of grace is huge in the Bible. In fact, it's the main point of the Bible because it's all about Jesus. In fact, here's a way we could define grace. Unearned favor. Favor um, toward us, not because of anything we have done. Unearned favor. That's grace. It's unconditional because the person who gives it to you is the hero of the story. We're not the hero of the story. I, I, don't, I don't go home and I go, man, it was so awesome. I, I ran out of gas, and I'm such an amazing person. And people were lining up to stop and help me. And one guy stopped and helped me, and he was so, just because it was me, he was so won over that he paid for my gas, and then he brought me back, and he thanked me uh, for running out of gas so he could serve me. I mean, that's not how the system works, right? It works the other way. The person who gives the grace is the hero, not the person who receives the grace. The person who receives the grace knows, I didn't do anything to earn that favor. I couldn't have done anything to earn the favor. There's another word that often gets mistaken for the word grace, and it's the word mercy. It's kind of like the opposite. And what I mean by that is mercy is not getting what you deserve. So when you get pulled over by the police officer, he or she looks at you and, and starts to give you that ticket and sees those sad puppy dog eyes or whatever, and it's just like, okay, I'm not going to write you a ticket. Would you please slow down? That's mercy, all right? So not getting, and, and mercy is a huge word in the Bible too. There's a whole lot of, of Jesus' story about mercy, but I want to focus on the word grace. And the key passage that relates to this idea of grace is from the Apostle Paul. He's writing about 30 years after Jesus has lived. He's died. He's been resurrected. And he's ascended to heaven. And somewhere along the way then, not too many years later, Paul comes to faith in Jesus. The guy who wanted to destroy Jesus, wanted to destroy the church, comes to faith in Jesus, becomes the biggest missionary advocate, advancer of this message of Jesus, ends up in prison. He starts writing letters. And to one of the churches, he writes the, into a city called Ephesus. And he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, these words. So if you can follow along with me. Hey, I hear we have chair Bibles back in. We've like cleaned those up, all right? So there's no COVID on the chair Bible. So you can grab one of those. It's in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter two. This is what he says. Paul says, once you were dead. Now he's writing to a group of followers of Jesus, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. But forget that, okay? Think about he's writing to you. Once you, me, we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. Now, the word dead or death in the Bible means to separate. And so when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they took of that fruit they weren't supposed to and they ate of it, they died, not physically, but spiritually. The physical part started. 
um, but they died spiritually. So we're separated from God. We're spiritually dead. We're like walking dead people, okay? We're the walking dead, okay? We, 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 we look like we're okay, but inside there's a separation, okay? There's a separation from God. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, again, we, we talked about this. We all know we make mistakes, right? And we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and we go, yeah, I'm a mistaker. But God says we're more than that. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's, it's, it's more foundational than that. We don't just make mistakes. We sin. So not only are we mistakers, but we're sinners, and it's a core issue. And we sin because we actively do things. We, we don't do things. Maybe we, we're passive sins because we know we're supposed to do things. We don't. Um, but it's this whole life that we live. He says, so once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So our sins separated us from God. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So Paul starts off in this chapter, second chapter of Ephesians. He goes, hey, I just want to remind you, once you used to be like everybody else. Not, not because he wants to say, you guys are awesome, <laughs> because he's going to say, and God is awesome, all right? You're not the hero of the story. God's the hero of the story. He says, once, don't, don't ever stop remembering that once you are separated from God, never lose that reality that you were once separated from God. You were spiritually dead because of your many sins and your transgressions and your disobedience to God. The things you actively did against God, the things that you were supposed to do, you didn't do. Once you were dead and you were living in disobedience. Now, you were only following the ruler of this world. You were, you were on his side, whether you knew it or not. And then he goes on to say, he says, all of us. Next slide. He says, all of us used to live that way. So, so don't think I'm picking on you. You know what I mean? If, if you're watching online or you're here in the room, I'm not, I'm not just harping on you. I'm, I'm harping on me. We were all this way. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And, and, and he goes on, he says, by very nature, by our very nature, our substance, we were subject to God's anger, his wrath, just like everyone else. And so once we were in a pretty precarious situation and we had no bargaining power, we had no chips we could bring to the table, we had no ace up our sleeve, we had nothing God wanted. In fact, God's anger was against us because of our situation. Once we were spiritually separated from God. And then I love this. This is so great. He says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. But God. Those are two of the most amazing words in the Bible. But God. I've got a friend, uh, Scott, who wrote a book on God's big book of buts. And um, it's, it's, it's all the but gods in the Bible. But God. But God. But God. Once you were, but God. Once you deviated, but God. Once you strayed away, but God. Once you were enslaved to sin, but God. And see, here's kind of the problem we have with that. We like to doctor the story a little bit. And we go, but I finally gave my life to God. But I finally said the right prayer. But I finally got my life clean. But I. See, the story of Jesus is not but us. It's but God. God did not save us because of us, in spite of us, actually, we could say. He saved us. Paul writes, you had a problem, but God. Now, reality for you and for me is that when we come to the moment, friends, when we realize we've sinned, we've broken our relationship with God, when we're spiritually dead, we've disobeyed God, 
we come to the point where we need to reset. We come to the point where we say, okay, this isn't working for me. I need to know how to start again. But you can't start but I. You have to start and reset with but God. I mean, Paul knew this, right? Paul is this amazing Jewish leader. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader. He's, he's a knowledgeable man. He's an expert in God's laws and God's rules. He obeyed all of the rules. He described that in his letter to the Philippians. I was so good. I was so good. I had all the awards and, and man, I was just at the top of my game. And I was so good that I was passionate about destroying this thing called the church. I was seeking out to kill Christians. And he doesn't say, but I found the right way. But I realized the error of my ways. It was, but God showed up. And he showed up as God. And I had to realize I had to change. And God saved me. So what about your life? Have you come to the point in your life where you realize you're not just a mistaker, but more than that, actually a sinner? And you've you've been honest enough and bold enough to come to terms with that. And the question is this. What do you do with that? The best news of the Bible. The best news of the Bible is, but God. But God looked at you and loved you anyway. He goes on to say, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, and here's our word, that you have been saved. It's not but you. It's but God. It's by God's grace. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, which one of the questions that I would ask at this point, and and I think Paul kind of understands because he's going to answer it is, okay, why would God do that? Why would God look at us? people who've lived in rebellion against him, people who've had our backs against him, people who fought him every step of the way, people who've maybe tried to live a good life but have been struggling and stuck in their sin, people who've blown it up, people who've made all these mistakes, people who've sinned, who've disobeyed. Why would he do, why would but God, why wouldn't he come up with a system, but I, but me, but you, if you do enough, then you can make it up to that point. Why would he do that? Well, look what he says. He goes on to say this, God wants to point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. But God, why would God reach out to you and to me? Because I know me and I know how broken I am and I know how sinful I am. I know how far apart I've strayed. I know how far I I struggle to, I, I walk away from God. I know all that. Why would he come down to you and to me? Why would but God show up? Well, because he wants to show his grace in your life. He wants people to look at you and go, man, there must be a God. Look how that person has changed. I had a friend who was uh, at Sunrise a couple weeks ago, and I was showing him some videos, some Sunrise videos, and, and I've got them on my Vimeo page, and I was just struck again as I watched video after video after video after video. Those videos were not about sunrise. They were not about the people. They were about God. Because every one of those people who shared a story shared how far they had fallen, how much they had made, not just mistakes, but deep, deep sins. And the result of that was their life was destroyed. 
And even though they didn't use the same words, this is what they said. But God showed up. But God showed up. Now, I showed up here in this community of faith. That's exciting. He, he used us. That's great. But it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the person. It was about God. But God showed up. Why? Because he wants to point to those people and say, look what I can do. Look at what I've done. He wants to look at you. He wants to point to you. For all ages, all future ages, for eternity, he wants to be able to say, do you ever have a question about how much grace I have? Look at those people. (laughs) Which is kind of like we're the booby prize. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like that. If you ever question how much God has incredible grace, just look in the mirror, in other words. He wants to lift you up as an example of his incredible, incredible grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You simply don't deserve it. But he says it this way. And he closes with this. He says in uh, the last part, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Because otherwise it would be but me. But I. Right? It is a gift from God. Salvation, this is so important, is not a reward for the good things we've done. That would be but I. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, what God did was he reached down and saved a wretch like you. Not because you deserved it or earned it or had a bargaining chip at the table. Not that he was impressed. Not that you twisted his arm until he cried, uncle. He looked at you and said, you have no hope. I will come and rescue you and I will give you my grace. And you will never be able to say, it's about you. It's about me. And then I will put you up. And the idea of masterpiece is the word where we get the word poem. And it's the idea is that I will forever showcase you as an example of my amazing grace. Now, I have to admit, most days I don't feel like a masterpiece. I don't feel like a Van Gogh. I don't feel like a Renoir or a Monet. At most, I feel like dogs playing poker, okay? That's how I see myself, all right? But God sees me and God sees you as an object that he loved of grace, that he rescued. Now, again, let me go back to what sets Jesus apart from every other faith system. Well, every other faith system you could spell with these two letters, D-O. It's what you do. It just All you got to do is look at it. You've got commands. You've got rules. You've got to obey these things. You've got to do these things in order to earn the favor of this God, in order to merit this system and this reward. You have to do these things, and then you get that. That's not what Jesus has presented to us at all. He's presented this. I've done it all. It's done, D-O-N-E. You can't do anything more to add to it because it's already done. If you do nothing more, it's done. It's done, and I want to showcase because of my character and because of my good works, not because of who you are. You don't have to negotiate with God. You don't have to bargain with God, but you do have to receive. You do have to believe. Now, why would he do it? Why would God offer his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice For our sins. And that's it. So you and I could forever be lifted up as an example of God's amazing grace. The mercy He's shown by not giving us the full wrath that we deserved. 
And more than that, the grace he's shown by giving us all of the inheritance of everything, of one day standing before him because of what Jesus has done. That's why God did it. It wasn't about us. It's about him. We're not the ones who have the bargaining chip. He alone has all the cards. And he wants to lay those cards down for you and for me so he can point forever to you and to me and say, this is an example of my grace. This person is an example of my love. This person is an example of my mercy. I heard this um, probably when I was a high school student, and it stuck with me forever. Here's a way to think about grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. You get all the riches of God. You get a relationship with God. You get a, a power to live for God here on the earth. And finally, in eternity, you live with God. You're basking in his glory and glow. Look, read the last couple chapters of the Bible, right? And you're there not because you've earned it. It's God's riches at not your, not, it's not you, but Christ at Christ's expense. Now, everything we know in this life is about working and about earning and about achieving and about climbing. And that's all we know. And, and religion is just like that, too. That's what religion is. But Jesus offers something different. It's a relationship. And he offers it by grace. You're never, ever, ever going to be able to earn this status with God. So stop trying. But you can freely receive it because it's already been done for you. It's all the riches of heaven at Christ's expense. And so I just want to close with a couple questions before the worship team comes up. I just want to ask these Number one, I wrote it down. What standard will you use in your life from here on out? But I or but God? Because those are the only options. But I, and start to list all the amazing things you've done, the bargaining chips you had, the, the ace up your sleeve, or will you use a different standard but God? Which I got nothing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just coming just bare naked to the table. I got nothing. I have nothing God wants. I have nothing God needs, but somehow he wants me. Not because he wants something from me, he wants something for me. So what standard? This is my first question. And hopefully you're in a reset group and we'll be talking about that this week. But what standard are you using to live your life? But I or but God? And then number two, in light of that kind of love, in that kind of love, when we look at it, we focus on it. What else could I do but surrender to that God? And what would that mean for my life this very day? If I surrendered to that kind of love, what would it look like? I think for, for many of us in the room or, or watching online, we're already in a relationship with God through Christ, but I think it still would require something of us. That kind of love would require something of us. What is it? In light of all that he's done for you, what would it require of you? What would it ask of you? What would it invite you towards? And if you don't know him, and, and, and you've been you know, kind of playing around with this idea of religion, and now you've seen the difference, I'll just ask the question, what would cause you from not receiving that? What would cause you to say, ah, I think I'll hold out for a better offer? <laughs> when you look at your cards, 
and you realize you got nothing, why wouldn't you just lay him down and receive everything at the table? Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, your compassion and your kindness and your gentleness. I thank you that you don't judge us according to but I, but you judge us according to but you. And according to but you, you have done everything necessary for us to receive your grace, to receive your love, to receive your mercy. And I pray that this week we figure out what standard we're using. And when we come, finally come to you, we would ask, what does that kind of love require of us? What does that kind of undeserved favor require of us today in this world, in this life? To live it away, to share it away, whatever it might mean for each of us. And if we've never responded to it, may we respond in this song. May we say, yes, God, I don't want to live but I because I've seen myself in the depths of my brokenness and sin. And I want to receive you. I want you to have the honor and glory. I want you to change me. I don't have the power. And I have nothing you want or need. But come and take me as I am. Father, we love you. And I thank you for showing up in so many amazing ways in sunrise, in our life, and our history, and the stories. May there be some brand new stories this weekend that point to you and say, but God, we pray in your name. Amen.